Hello, everybody, and welcome to All N. My name is Splatoon 3, Wave 2, Seth Order. And what are you doing, Eric? <laughs> it's combo, Eric. And can't you hear the music? I'm playing Killer Instinct, man. No, I can't hear it. Otherwise, we'd probably get a copyright strike. Dude, come on. We have a show to do. <sighs> Fine. There, I mean, there just isn't any time with everything that's come out. I was just trying to get in some KI. Well, if you play your cards right, you'll be able to jump right back into it after the show's over. Oh, I see what you did there. Because we also got Pocket Card Jockey in the same partner showcase as Killer Instinct, and we're counting down the top five card-based games on the Nintendo Switch. Oh, I see what you did there. Fine. But if I don't get all these games in soon, I'm going to I'm gonna fall crazy behind, man. Just look at everything that's come out just since Valentine's Day last week, dude. It's insane. Yeah, I, I am aware, and I'm sure everyone else is too. In fact, in this episode, we've got reviews of two games that just released a few days ago. First up is our Zet, the passionate love letter to the Philips CDI. We had Seth and Audie on last year to help preview the game for us. And today, it's taking its proper place in our indie showcase. Okay, I, okay I'm, I'm sorry. What was the other one again? Awesome games that have released in the past few days doesn't really narrow it down right now. So you're going to have to help me out here. Yeah, you know, that's that's actually fair. Um, a Plumber and an Ape, a tale as old as gaming. The game originally launched on GBA back in 2004, but it's back with a fresh cone of paint, a ton of new content. But can a 20-year-old handheld puzzle game still stand tall in 2024? That's exactly what we're going to figure out today in our full review of Mario vs. Donkey Kong. And then... I can has KI. Did you really just say I can has in 2024? Dude, I wrote the script. All right. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's fair. You can have it. Yay. All right, man. Let's go ahead and get this party started then. It's time to go all in. That's right, everybody. You can has a new episode of All In, a Nintendo podcast, the weekly Nintendo variety show, reaching every week, no shells left unturned, and no point is left unearned. Eric's bringing back the I can has cheeseburger the cheeseburger, meme yes. from like 2002. <laughs> we really definitely are going retro. Not, definitely not showing my age there at all. <laughs> it was funny because when you, when you sent the script, Eric's like, any, any comments, any issue? I'm like, no, no problems other than I can has is super cringy in 2024 <laughs> but hey man we're throwing it back this week it was a script written by me but you know who are the cheeseburgers in our life seth mm. the patrons that's right the delicious cheeseburgers <laughs> at patreon.com slash all in podcast we love you all very very much thank you very much for your continued love and support we need to thank them right away at the beginning of the shows we do every single week starting with our golden banana bunch we want to thank rob yaple sean sean o'baggins ashton tim a aka neo prime 33 aka nintendo dad number four phelan ward bill tucker marcus o'neill liam d gamer jason andrew wilkins foolish fuji alan hashtag look to the cookie solo and sa 
Z. Big thank you to our Golden Banana Bunch. You can get a seven-day free trial to the Golden Banana tier at Patreon and see what all the fuss is about and join their ranks. But moving into our Triforce tier... We need to thank Josh Vaughn, the godfather of Tingle Love Tuesday. We need to thank John Datfast Cummins of the Retrologic Podcast, as well as the On Topic Retro Podcast, the globetrotting, jet-setting Nintendo Hub and Sparky of the Nintendo Hub over on YouTube, Adam Caparello of the Retro Groove Podcast, Shy Guy, the other half of our Shy Guy Mod Squad. Thank you, Shy Guy. Daniel Hinojosa, Dan and Luma, Bowza, the keeper of the hugs and the legend himself. The super deluxe, extra large, king size cheeseburger, Uncle Randy. Uncle Randy, the cheesiest cheeseburger in our hearts, Uncle Randy. Thanks so much to all of y'all who support us on Patreon. We appreciate you. Again, there's a seven-day free trial to the Golden Banana tier and see the exclusive content you've been missing out on. It's a great way to support the show. Uh, you can also support the show by picking up some merch at bit.ly slash allinmerch. Uh, and, of course, you can support the show entirely for free by dropping some words. Leaving us a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice is a wonderful way and a free way and a quick and easy way to get our show in front of the people who need to hear it. So thank you so much for doing that. Um, but sir, what's been going on in your world this week? <laughs> what a question this week. Yeah. Um, well, uh, well, it, the, the intro was definitely art imitating life in some respects. I have absolutely been playing a ton of killer instincts since it released on the Nintendo switch, uh, in the wake of the partner direct. In fact, I've been playing a lot of KI and all the rare games. I haven't really put a lot of time in RC program to be fair, but you know, I've, I actually played quite a bit of Snake, Rattle, and Roll. That's a game I have a lot of nostalgia for from my old NES days. I even played the the Battletoads, uh, Battle Maniac Super Nintendo game, which has not aged very well. But I was also super, super stoked to put some time into Blast Core. Anybody who's ever played that game on the Nintendo 64 or on Rare Replay knows what a fun, unique title that is honestly to this day there's not too many titles that you can really even compare it to it's just uh, it's just a destruction derby with a mission mode essentially um but it's it's super fun super cool just like rare was wont to do in the 90s but yeah following that drop from the partner showcase i was all over my nso apps uh for the past couple days but I mean, in addition to that, there's been so, so much. As we've said already, we are going to be doing reviews of both RZ and Mario versus Donkey Kong. So, as you might imagine, I've had to put quite a bit of time into both of those over the past week. But you'll hear much more about that later on in the episode. A couple things I absolutely will be shouting out, however, is um, a couple things uh, I'll shout out is uh, we finally got an update for Retromania that mm. I genuinely didn't even think was coming anymore. The game came out like three years ago at this point. Mike, uh, the one-man developer on Retromania, was one of our first guests we ever had here on All In. Super, super stoked to play the game. Uh, and then the DLC just kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. And then a couple hours after the partner showcase they just like Mike just dropped this massive new content drop that finally after three years added the final few chapters to the game's story mode. In addition to adding uh, two new wrestlers, new arena, new moves, new animations, it's just a massive new patch. So I was very happy 
to jump back into Retromania and play that some more uh, this week. I'll probably be putting even more time into that in the near future. Uh, Speaking of fighting games, uh, with defunct story modes that got massive DLC drops, including two new characters this week. (laughs) (laughs) Very specific. (laughs) Very specific, but weirdly, the exact same thing happened for Them's Fighting Herds. Mm. Them's Fighting Herds just got a brand new patch with two brand new characters and uh, new balance patches and stuff like that. However, weirdly... Like, uh, unlike the story mode that I didn't think was ever going to get finished in Retromania, it has been actually confirmed by the newly rechristened Maximum Entertainment after they decided to lay off most of the main six staff that the story mode in Them's Fighting Herds will never actually be finished. So we just have to content ourselves with these characters. And then that's basically it. So if you own Them's Fighting Herds, this was basically the last major content drop for the title. They said they may balance some things out, especially if there's some game-breaking bugs. But if you were looking to finish the story mode in that game, it is going to remain forever unfinished, unfortunately. Uh, but regardless, I did uh, jump on ever so briefly and check those out. There was a new <laughs> there was a new System Shock pinball table that came out for both Pinball FX and Pinball M on the Nintendo Switch. I picked it up in Pinball M only to immediately find out it was a promotional free table in Pinball FX. Oh, that's annoying. It's the same table? <laughs> it's literally the same table. That sucks. <laughs> yeah, so it's... It was still a fun table, and I still really enjoy it. And to be completely honest, I probably will, I probably will, would have still bought it in Pinball M anyway. But uh, in addition to all of that, there's, God, there's so much stuff I have downloaded on my Switch that I haven't had time to look at. I really want to check out the new Unicorn Overlord demo. Um, but I did, I did wind up playing the Pepper Grinder demo that also dropped during the partner showcase and from here on out i think you and i have a quite a bit of overlap when it comes to what we've been playing this past week the last couple things i'm going to shout out are games or demos or content that you've actually created videos for and put up on our youtube channel seth i'll very quickly say that uh like you i played the pepper grinder demo and the last game i'll shout out is uh, another game that we were gifted the the code for from the developer. Thank you so much. The new Geometry Survivor mm-hmm. game, the the marriage of Geometry Wars and Vampire Survivor that very 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 much lives up to both of those namesakes, while having the most boring SEO focused name on the planet, which I I do understand. But yeah, if you're a fan of uh, Geometry Wars or you're a fan of Vampire Survivors, this is a $5 little gem that I think you should check out. And uh, again, Seth has a video up on the YouTube channel for both that and Pepper Grinder. But what did you think of Geometry Survivor, Seth? Uh, yeah, I like it. Um, you know, for, for it being what it is, you know, th- this sort of like survivor, vampire survivor, like genre, yeah. um, you know, there's a lot of games that kind of fall yeah, into this absolutely. at this point, you know, stuff like Brotato comes to mind, you know, there's, <laughs> there's plenty of stuff that kind of falls into this and geometry survivor is really cool. I mean, really just because I love geometry wars so much. Exactly. Um, the only thing that it 
really has in common with Geometry Wars is like the aesthetic and like the the core. It's basically like if you've ever played Geometry Wars, there's a, a pacifist sort of gameplay style where you basically just run around and try not to get hit by things without mm-hmm. actually killing them. This is kind of like that, except that you're you are still killing things, but you're you're operating on like an auto attack structure. Um, and effectively just walking around. Like you're just kind of like moving your ship around the space as it's auto attacking, just like vampire survivors, you're getting upgrades and new weapons and your weapons can evolve and stuff like this. Um, the only issue that I really have with the game is it's a bit thin, um, at launch. Like there's not all that much to it. Like you can go through and, you know, get your upgrades, but like there's only one map, you know, yep. um, which is pretty small, just like yeah. in the old geometry wars, you know, you don't have a large field to, to work with here. It's a fairly restricted. Uh, so, you know, in vampire survivors, you've got these large, uh, you know, open maps, right. granted most of them are incredibly empty, but here in geometry survivor, the, it is a single map and it's, uh, like it is what it is. If you ever played geometry wars, you probably know exactly what you're dealing with here. Yeah, like the the actual like aesthetic of it, both visual and auditory aesthetic, like the music, like that is the Geometry Wars. The music's amazing. Yeah. The soundtrack for Geometry Survivor is amazing. I think it might actually be the same guy who does the soundtrack. I'd have to double check, but I think it might actually be the same guy who does the soundtrack for Horizon Chase because hmm. like it, it sounds almost exactly, like it almost gives that exact vibe, but in a very good way that like neon tinged, like yeah. heavily neon tinged eighties synth sci-fi kind of feel to it, but really, really cool. Yeah. It's, it's great. I mean, like if, if the only real issue that I have with the game is I wish there was more of it, we're probably in pretty good shape. Um, you know, so I, I can't complain too much. Um, you know, but I, I was reading, I think it was shy guy, um, yeah. in our discord yeah. who said like the, yep. the devs do plan on like further supporting the game, which is, it's another thing. It's kind of unfair to hold the game to the vampire survivors yardstick because that game has been so well supported. Um, so that's and really it's also it. $5. So right. So if you've never played Vampire Survivors, Vampire Survivors would absolutely be the game that we would push you toward first. However, if you've already played like 100 hours of Vampire Survivors and or you are a Geometry Wars fan, like it's still easily $5 worth of fun. I've already gotten more than $5 worth of fun out of that game. I've uh, done a dozen runs at this point. Uh, I will say for my... I've run into like a lot of choppiness in the last few minutes. That's interesting. Whereas, whereas Vampire Survivors is largely based around 30 minute time loops. Right. Uh, Geometry Survivor, that is one of its kind of bigger differences, is it's based on a, a 20 minute time loop or time limit. Right. And for me, I do wind up seeing a lot of choppiness. Uh, in the final few minutes. So I do hope that it does get a balance patch. It doesn't necessarily take away a lot of my fun, but it is very, at least for me, at least very notable within the last couple minutes. It is also, I don't know. I find it kind of easy. I think you agree with me on that Seth. Yeah, I, um, it is a bit easy. Yeah, it is. You can increase. There are a couple ways that you can increase the difficulty. There are eight different ships. Some of which actually do make the game more difficult. Something I've yeah. actually done is, 
Well, there are several items in the game that enemies can drop. Largely what those items will be are uh, these bombs that you can detonate if you go over them, if you collect them, that will explode in a radius. Honestly, one of the pro tips is just to leave out as many as you possibly can. And then if you actually need them getting kind of deep into your run, then you can let them go. What I've actually kind of started doing just for fun is to try to do like no bomb runs. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've actually been having a lot of fun trying to do like proper no bomb runs in the game. Um, because not only do you not get the benefit of the bombs, but each one that drops just becomes another obstacle that you have to avoid essentially. So I've been finding some extra fun in that, but like Shy Guy said, uh, the developers have mentioned that they do plan on updating the game with more content in the future. Uh, so check it out. Vampire, uh, Vampire Survivors, Geometry Survivor out now on the Nintendo Switch eShop for five bucks. Yeah, for for five bucks, it's it's a fairly easy recommend. Uh, I I do like it, and um, you know I'm I'm looking forward to to seeing like how much further they support the game, um, because you know like like it's a really like the base that is here is really good. So yeah, keep it going, keep building on that on that solid foundation. I think we're in good yeah. shape. All you got to do, you just got to tweak it a little bit and you can give us a proper like Geometry Wars mode in there. I'm just saying that like, that's the thing, man, like playing it. I was like, I kind of just miss Geometry Wars. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I kind of like in that that game would have like if they released a Geometry Wars four, like that would this entire game would basically be a mode in Geometry Wars four, like straight yeah. up. So give it to us. I agree. I would, I would really, really like that. So I don't know. We'll see. I don't even know who has the, I don't know if Criterion still has the license to that. I have no idea who owns Geometry Wars anymore, but, um, I do miss it. Um, with that Mm -hmm. being said, yeah, I played a lot of stuff this week. Um, this week (laughs) has been an insane week for releases. Like I genuinely just between the stuff that came out this week, I could probably be occupied for the next several months. Like, yeah, genuinely. Um, it's been insane. So I guess I'll start by talking about Bellatro, um, which is, we, we did get a code for this. So big thanks to the publisher for giving us code for this. Um, yes. It is a video poker roguelike deck building game. Um, and the entire sort of conceit of the game is your you know, you're, you're kind of building poker hands in order to like increase a score multiplier and gain a certain amount of score to take down opponents. And once you do that, you can like visit a shop, use your winnings to visit a shop and buy upgrades. Um, the biggest of which are these Joker cards that completely change the entire makeup of your build um, and can truly create, like the, the game is inviting you to break it um, to the point where I've done runs of this game where I had a Joker card that would just like increase my multiplier by like a thousand times. Like, <laughs> like it had this role where um, every time I ended around, it had a chance of destroying itself. But like for a long time, it was just there and I was just getting, I mean, like I was just one turning everything that I was fighting uh, until the thing eventually finally destroyed itself. Um, <laughs> but like the, the game has got so many things in place to sort of like allow you to break it and get these ins- absurdly high scores. Um, 
for example, one of the things that you can get, you can buy card packs um, in the shop between runs and some of them are planetary cards. There's this kind of like, there's this, there's this sort of like, um, I don't know, like otherworldly, like supernatural kind of vibe to the game because the cards that you can get are either like planetary cards or tarot cards. Um, the planetary cards make it so that certain poker hands give you more points. So if I buy whatever Jupiter, then my straights will give me more points. If I buy Venus, my flushes will give me more points or whatever. Um, meanwhile, the, the tarot cards will actually upgrade the different types of cards you have in your deck. So I can make a card golden to where if I, you know, end my turn uh, with it still in my hand, I'll get money for that. Um, you know, I can make it so that a certain card gives me more points. I can change uh, different cards to match other suits. Um, so like there's a ton of depth and variety in this game. Just the way you're talking about it makes me see like Charlie Day in front of a conspiracy theory board. Yeah, like there's so much going on. I feel on like here. I'm already addicted to it and I haven't played it yet. <laughs> yeah, like the the and it takes no time at all. Like by the time I was done and, and I made a video for the YouTube channel, and literally yeah. by the time I was done with the tutorial seed, I was like Oh God, like you can, you can already start to <laughs> oh, see, <no. laughs> yeah, you can already start to see like kind of the matrix and like you, you can already see like what the sort of hook of this game is right away. Um, it's really, really strong and it's made by a solo developer. Um, and you don't have to like take my word for it at face value either. This game's got like a 90 on Metacritic or something. Um, it has been extraordinarily well-reviewed. This feels poised to be sort of the sleeper hit of 2024 like the the indie game that maybe is flying under some people's radar but is low-key incredible um i haven't spent that much time with it just because there's been so much else this week taking my attention away but i've put a few hours into it and every time i turn on my switch i see it there and like i feel the pull <laughs> towards it and you feel um, the sirens call of yeah, Bellatro. <laughs> it's excellent like Bellatro is excellent uh i highly highly if you are into deck building roguelikes you should already own it it's really good really really strong so and check out my video if you want to see the game like in motion uh and if you want to get sort of a sense of what the game is my video should give you a pretty good sense of that so uh really really good um, of course, as I may you, or may not be literally downloading it right now. <laughs> you should. It's excellent. <laughs> it's excellent. Um, you already mentioned Pocket Card Jockey Ride On uh, dropped as part of the partner showcase. That was my sort of like moment of the show. Um, yeah, any, I knew it any, would be. Anybody who knows me knows that that's one of my favorite games of all time. Um, I adore that game. And just even though it is a fairly straight faced port of pocket card jockey ride on which released last year on apple arcade and i played a bunch of it there um they did i i believe that the pvp element of it is new to the switch version of the game um i don't think that was present on the apple arcade version if it was it might have been something they added later um but i'm really interested in trying that out i'm gonna try to do like a little community game night or something this weekend my wife's yeah. out of town this weekend so um i will be available this weekend and i'm gonna try to do like some kind of community game night um with pocket card jockey because i know sam has it i and, know sam um, was talking about doing one this week and yeah, yeah i'm gonna have to jump in and do it just so you don't disown me 
<laughs> well, I mean, like, look, man, like the, the game is, is not going to be for everybody, but, um, but I think it is just an expertly designed, uh, video game. Like, I just think it's so good. So well done. So many systems that shouldn't work together, but somehow do. Uh, and this one, I like, I was up until like 2am playing this last night. Like <laughs> it's already just having it on my switch. It's already hooked me all over again. I mean, between the 3ds my iPhone and now switch like I've put, you know, so much time into this game. I'm so familiar with it, but like it all, it like it always just loops me right back into the same. I could, this is the kind of game that I could play for the rest of my life and never get sick of it. Like the core of it is that strong. Um, so, and there's a, there's a video on the YouTube channel for that as well. If you have never played pocket card jockey, like it is this weird, amalgamation of like a horse raising RPG and solitaire. Um, and there's like a ton of strategy and like gameplay nuance to it. That is kind of impossible to describe with words. Watch my video and you'll kind of get a sense for it that I couldn't buy yeah. that quickly enough. So, yeah. well, uh, it's too bad. We won't have another opportunity to talk about that later on in the episode. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I mean, um, it's made by Game Freak and we have a Pokemon Presents coming next week. Maybe they'll just maybe maybe they'll just announced, you know, right after dropping this one, a brand new a sequel to Pocket Card Jockey right on at the Pokemon Presents next week. Who knows? It's Game Freak after (laughs) all. Why not? (laughs) That would be that would be shocking. You know, your mind would explode. I mean, right on is already kind of weird because like it's. It's in some ways a port, but it's also in some ways a sequel. Like there are tweaks over the original game, like enough to where it kind of feels like a pseudo sequel. So, you know, and and it it works well on Switch. Like it runs totally fine. Uh, You can play the game with a pro controller, Joy-Con motion or touchscreen. So like you have plenty of ways to play the game. Um, It's great. It's 15 bucks. The game is completely worth 15 bucks. I'm going to get so much time out of it just having it on my switch so uh yeah pocket card jockey right on demanding a lot of my time this week uh i also want to quickly shout out side order the new splatoon 3 dlc uh that came out i streamed it uh on the youtube channel for about three hours it rules it's so good it is fantastic the the whole roguelike setup of it is like instantly like it just makes perfect sense inside of the framework of Splatoon. The hook of it is really good and addicting. The sort of like, just like any good sort of roguelite experience where you go back to the hub and, you know, upgrade your stuff. Like Marina is able to like hack, you know, the 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 like spire or whatever it's called to give yourself some like help and some bonuses. Make your next run. I'm just happy to easier. have Marina back, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pearl and Marina are like the the center of this story. The story is also really weird and cool. The Pearl drone is amazing. <laughs> yeah, like like Pearl in general, like Pearl and Marina are the stars of this thing. So like if you're a fan of Pearl and Marina, you've you've got a lot to look forward to in the story of Side Order. But I just love like the the whole set. Like Splatoon works so well as a as a roguelite experience like this. Um, it's so cool. And there's a lot of replayability to it too, because you get these, um, you get these pallets that, uh, you're able to upgrade, add ships to between waves 
and um, the pallets are all centered around like single weapons, but the game incentivizes you to use more pallets and more weapons because you can only get a certain amount of these keys on each run. You can only get three per weapon. So you're never going to unlock everything inside order unless you kind of step out of your comfort zone, use some of the other pallets and some of the other weapons. So I do really like when roguelikes do that. Like yeah. uh, there, there was a ton of mechanisms within like Hades to jump outside. Hades your is great zone at and, that. Yeah. Yeah. Using a bunch of different weapons. So yeah. And they're, they're like, you can do a lot if you use all the weapons that you're familiar with and good with, but comma space, the world can be your oyster, pun intended, because Splatoon is Splatoon, if you learn some more stuff. Yeah, just like you're you're only gonna see so much of it. Like you could take your you you could find a pallet that has your favorite weapon in it. You could take that all the way. There's 30 um floors of the spire. I have not completed it yet. On I, I played the game for about three hours, and the highest I was able to get was floor like 24 or something like that. Um, I think I'll be able to do it on my next run though. I feel pretty good, uh, about, about it on my next run. Cause I have, I like, you can go back to the hub again and spend the currency that you're earning on upgrades and hacks to make it easier. So now I have like additional lives that I can take into it and, you know, upgrades to my weapons and my, you know, damage reduction, all this stuff. Um, so you can get to, you know, wave 30, you can see the end of the game and the end of the story and roll credits and everything, but you're not going to unlock everything unless you do multiple run throughs with multiple pallets. Um, so there, there's a, a really great, if you'll pardon the pun, a really great hook to side <laughs> order. Um, it's great. It's rad. I, I love it. It is like just as good, if not better than Octo expansion was for Splatoon two. It's yet another example of Splatoon not only having some of the best single player content that Nintendo produces, but like the DLC being a stronger single player offering than the base game. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> like <laughs> that was the case with Splatoon two. And it's also the case with Splatoon three right away. Um, I also love the whole, like that, that kind of muted, like monochromatic aesthetic that it it's has. Also like, it's like, it's like Splatoon limbo. It's great. Like I love they right away. One of the first things I noticed, um, it's the, all these like pale pinks and like yeah. blues and whites and stuff, but your ink has like this glitter effect that looks gorgeous. Like I just, I'm like, I wish the whole game, I kind of don't want to fix the spire. I, I kind of like the way the game looks. <laughs> I don't want to bring color back, <laughs> you from, know, from the first time I saw it, it kind of reminded me of the blob. Yeah. A little, yeah, because it's it's very yeah it's very like muted and and all this and there's the whole like you know like the order is trying to like take over you know the world course, and blah blah you know. blah you know so I don't know it's it's rad it's great um, if you are a Splatoon you know a Splatoon three player um, and you've been waiting for this to drop it's out now it's fantastic and you should play it. Um, so <laughs> I, I also uh, added some table turf battle stuff with the update as well. So, oh, nice. um, so if for whatever reason you don't care about side order, which I don't know what kind of psychopath you are, if, if that's the case, but, uh, but there's also more table tough, more table turf battle stuff within the update as well. I'm also super excited for that because table turf was always low key. One of my favorite things about Splatoon three. Yeah. 
Yeah. So there's uh there's there's that in there too. It's great. Everybody should play it. I also just want to quickly say uh we did get a code for Euphoria 2. We are currently under embargo for it. Um you can look forward to impressions next week on the show. Um I also want to point out that Eric and I have not yet at the time of this recording played either Penny's Big Breakaway or Pentiment, which both also dropped on the Nintendo Switch this week. Pe- uh, Penny's Big Breakaway was a shadow drop. Um, we have not yet played those, but next week on the show, we will almost certainly have impressions of those yeah, as well. Yeah, that's happening. That's yeah. absolutely happening. Uh, there, there's just been, I mean, we've said it already several times, but there's just been so much. Like We knew that a Nintendo direct was more than likely happening this week and we still weren't even prepared for everything that was releasing this week yeah yeah and i just real real quick also um go back if you haven't tuned into our news roundup live from this week that is where the full breakdown of the direct we won't yes. be doing that here on this episode of the show um There's it's no on time yeah, it's it's on your audio feeds. Uh, it's on YouTube. Uh, News Roundup Live. We do it every single week. So if you want like a full breakdown of the Nintendo Direct, tune into that. Um, but yep. speaking of all of this, I mean, we've talked about Bellatro. We've talked about Pocket Card Jockey. We've talked about new table turf stuff in uh, in side order with the new update. There's been so many card based things on the Nintendo Switch just this week. <laughs> Like it's nuts. It's absolutely. I think there's even card-based stuff within Pentiment as well. Probably. I think that's. I think there's some strong card-based mechanics within that. But I mean, regardless, there's been more than enough reasons from the past week alone to have card-style games on our minds, and it's honestly been something we've been thinking about quite a bit. Uh, this past year uh, already, due to a few major releases hitting the Nintendo Switch and. Honestly, it got us thinking about all of the premier, all of the best card-based games within the history of Nintendo's handheld hybrid. So we figured we would count down those very best for you this week in our top five. All right, Eric, the top five card-based games on the Nintendo Switch. What are the rules? Now, for this, we are just talking about games that are available on the Nintendo Switch. They didn't necessarily have to originate on the Nintendo Switch as long as they are playable on Nintendo's hybrid platform. Uh, We did consider all games in which the essence of cards was a gimmick. However, we gave strong consideration to those games, which really leaned into the fact that these were cards, the random drawing element that came with it, so on and so forth. And uh, we've got some really interesting ones and a varied list to count down for you guys today. Yeah, it was also important for, for this one to make sure that we weren't just like talking about you know, card-based games that have cards as like a superfluous element where like it could have just been like, for example, something like Neon White is not going to be on the list because even though, yes, the pickups in that game are technically cards, they could have just as easily been power-ups or anything else. Like these needed to be games where cards are an important and irreplaceable element of the game. Absolutely. And I mean, going into our number five, you want to talk about important and irreplaceable. It doesn't get more true, authentic card game than the offerings available in number five, Clubhouse Games 
51 worldwide classics. Mm-hmm. Now, this may seem like low-hanging fruit, but honestly, this is low-key like a great release, guys. If you haven't picked up Clubhouse Games, like that's it's a genuinely great party game. There's a lot of really fun games here on offer, a lot of great classic board games that you can play. But yes, of course, mixed in and amongst all the rest are a lot of true classic no-frills card games that you can play Uh, with your friends and it's a really great representation of a lot of great classic card games yeah because like it does have stuff like texas hold'em it does have like multiple versions of solitaire but even beyond that it has hanafuda in it like which is you know just also really cool and worth shouting out just for for the sake of that i mean in what other game can you just play with hanafuda cards pretty cool and and anybody who knows anything about All In knows that that is very near and dear to our hearts as well. Um, but going into our number four, our number four asks the question, yeah, but what if literally everything was cards? <laughs> yeah. Our number four is not just one game, actually. It is the Voice of Cards trilogy from Square Enix. And if you haven't seen these games, the entire gimmick, the entire onus, the conception of the Voice of Card series is literally everything is portrayed with cards. Even the world map itself is a grid-based map made up of tarot-slash-playing-style cards. I wasn't really exaggerating when I made the joke about, yeah, but uh, what if literally everything was cards? Just about literally everything is cards in the Voice of Cards trilogy. It is about as pure a card game as you can really get in any way, shape, or form. And for that aspect alone, we kind of had to put it on the list. Yeah. I mean... How is a game where everything is cards not going to be on this list? <laughs> you know, it's as simple as that. Now, granted, to, to be completely honest with y'all, um, beyond playing the demo of the first one, I haven't played, you know, I don't have that much experience with voice of cards, but um, I mean, even just from the demo, like it's obvious that this deserved a placement on the list, like the way that cards are implemented into every facet, the way it's sort of couched as this cool, like tabletop facsimile sort of thing. It's just like a really neat idea from Square Enix and Yoko Taro. Yeah, it really is. There's a certain indie game, uh, focused around, uh, you know, cards and, and certain games like this. But uh, when it comes to like this type of experience, it's just insane how far they took this one conceit and made not just a game, but an entire trilogy, essentially just cards the entire personality of this franchise. It's really, really cool. And for me, the, the core artwork in the game is, is very nice. It's like Nomura-esque, but there's also the option of turning all the cards into like 
8-bit versions of themselves. So all the, it's paid DLC admittedly, but you can turn all the goblins and characters into these awesome like Final Fantasy 1 versions of themselves, but still have them represented as cards. It's genuinely amazing. It's really cool. And they made a whole trilogy of games inside of like There's 18 three months. Of them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. These all came out in under two years, all three of them. It's so cool. It They're worth checking out. As far as RPGs go, mechanically speaking, they're fairly straightforward. But just the way everything is presented alone is worth checking these games out again the voice of cards trilogy from square enix all three of which available on the nintendo switch Mm -hmm. but going into our number three this is going to surprise nobody who's been uh following the show for a little while a game that is very near and dear to my heart our number three is cobalt core and i know people are going to be like hang on seth cobalt core over stuff like monster train and slay the spire and you know i i i always sort of pitch cobalt core to people as like if you like stuff like slay the spire or into the breach that's kind of the perfect marriage uh those two games kind of gets you cobalt core for me um but in my opinion and you know maybe y'all disagree with this but yeah i mean you can let me know i guess um cobalt core is the like the perfect execution and realization of those mechanics, the kind of stuff that slay the spire, like slay the spire walked so that cobalt core could run for me um, personally. And I love slay the spire. I've spent, you know, probably 80 hours in slay the spire on the Nintendo switch, but cobalt core just like kicks it up to another level, everything about it. And the way that like, it gives you those really interesting and cool like synergies and setups yeah, between oh. the different characters. Yeah. So good. Yeah. And for those who don't really know what Cobalt Core is, it is, it's actually a game we featured in our indie showcase right at the beginning of uh, 2024, but it is a deck building adventure game uh, that's focused around basically spaceship combat. And the three characters that you have in your crew essentially designate the types of cards, a.k.a. the types of abilities that you'll be able to use in this ship-to-ship combat. And as any deck-building adventure game like this, you'll continue to draw and discard and use abilities uh, to essentially just try to beat the other person's ships. And the amount of variety on offer here, obviously there's a ton of straightforward attacks, ways to shield yourself from your opponent's attacks, a ton of movement capabilities, but like it goes so much deeper that, uh, than that into like drones and uh, missiles and uh, like the ability to spawn meteors and, and all kinds of wacky stuff. And again, like Seth said, the different synergies that can really come into play here. If you just want to go completely all out and have a crew that's entirely focused on attacks and pushing the pace, you can maybe do that, but trying to find out different ways that the different crew members who designate the types of cards you'll get can work together is really fun, really interesting, and keeps this roguelike deck building game really fresh and really unique throughout. Because in addition to, you know, everything, we're talking about card-based games, 
but we're talking about the overall quality of these games. And it's not just the card-based mechanics in Cobalt Core. There's a really interesting narrative at play here. It's got these just absolutely charming visuals in addition to the incredibly unique and interesting conceit at the core of the gameplay. Yeah, I mean, like, Cobalt Core, you know, just just is kind of, for me, best in class when it comes to this genre. And another thing that, you know, we were sort of aiming for with uh, with this list was making sure that we've represented, you know, a bunch of different, like, iterations of the card-based game genre. So when it comes to, like, deck-building, roguelike, card-based games, Cobalt Core, for me, is the the current king of the hill. Um, <laughs> it's one of my favorite games on the Nintendo Switch. So I, uh, I absolutely adore it. Going into our number two, though, and this one, you know, <laughs> you... you I would normally say that you could argue recency bias, but this is actually a game that I've been in love with for like over a decade now or something. Um, There's actual evidence of this. <laughs> our number two is Pocket Card Jockey, which, um, you know, Pocket Card Jockey Ride On specifically was shadow dropped during the Partner Showcase this week. And um, for those who don't know uh, what Pocket Card Jockey is, um, you can check out, I, I put out a YouTube video uh, on the channel this week that will give you a really good idea of what the game is. But it is a horse racing um, RPG <laughs> wherein the main character sucks at racing horses. And so what ends up happening is they die in the first two minutes of the game and are brought back with the ability to race horses with what they were actually good at in life, which is playing solitaire. So uh, you race horses and manage like things like their energy and their happiness in these races, and you level them up, you earn new skills, you can even breed horses and create kind of like super horses in them, and that's all great. But at the core of the game, you have to play solitaire. That is the core. That is how you win races is by playing solitaire really well. And the ways that Pocket Card Jockey kind of like frames solitaire and adds little elements to it um, is just so brilliant. And like, it's just like the weirdest combination of design elements that just somehow work. And it is one of the most addicting games I've ever played. <laughs> and you're not the only person who I've seen say is like uh, John Cartwright genuinely thinks it's game freaks best game. I do too. I agree. Yeah. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there is like, this is a solitaire game from the people who made Pokemon and it's number two on your list of card based games on the switch. How question mark, question mark, question mark. Yeah, I mean, you could not remove the card. It is the single most important. Again, the game is extraordinarily deep, way deeper than you think it is. There's a lot of things at play here, but like at the end of the day, like you it is a solitaire game at its core. That is going to be what you spend the uh, the vast majority of your time doing. So, I mean, yeah, when it comes to card-based games now on the Nintendo Switch, um Pocket Card Jockey Ride On is just, you know, in a league of its own. I'm so happy this is on Switch now. Yeah. You you've been asking for this for for a very long time. I'm sure you were you were super excited when you saw the burb 
tweet out a, a little game freak tease. I was I was overjoyed to see this come to the <laughs> Switch. I couldn't purchase it quickly enough. But uh, before we reveal our number one, do we have some honorable mentions? Uh, yes, as a matter of fact, that's the entire reason that we limited this just to the Nintendo Switch is because Seth and I didn't even want to. We've performed some Herculean feats in terms of narrowing down the top fives in Nintendo history of stuff. But even we didn't want to take on the task of trying to go through every card-based game within Nintendo history because just on the Nintendo Switch games that we've left out of the top, like there's some amazing games that Mm -hmm. we've left out of the top five. Inscription didn't make the top five and that's a phenomenal game. Yeah. Yeah. Inscription is really cool. That, that probably would have been like number six, like inscription does do some really cool things with its card based elements. And that, that's a great game. That's one of the coolest, like singularly coolest games uh, I've ever played. So it's definitely worth a shout. Um, I mentioned uh, earlier stuff like Slay the Spire and Monster Train, yep. and, you know, even something like Griftlands. These are games that are like deck building roguelikes and they're great. They're not Cobalt Core, but they're still great and worth shouting out. <laughs> yeah. And I definitely want to shout out. This is just very quick. Uh, there are a ton of Neo Geo Pocket Color games on the Nintendo Switch. There was actually a two-pack. There were two different Neo Geo Pocket Color games originally released for the console that was part of the collaboration of SNK and Capcom called Card Fighters Clash. There was originally an SNK and a Capcom separately released as cartridges. However, there is a dual SNK versus Capcom Card Fighters Clash available on the Nintendo Switch, which actually combines both of the games together and is really cool guys it's really cool so i think you should check that out and also just quick shout out to battle network to the battle network Mm. collection uh the Mega Man battle network collection that was added to the nintendo switch last year uh really really cool incredibly unique and fun battle system uh if you haven't checked out the Mega Man battle network collection go ahead and check that out but You know, it wasn't just Pocket Card Jockey that was making us think of all of these awesome card-based games this week. We certainly wanted to check out, or we certainly wanted to shout out, rather, another really cool and interesting title also released on the Nintendo Switch just within the past seven days. Yeah, Bellatro is amazing. Um, I talked about it, you know, earlier in the show. It's uh, it's fantastic. The only reason it isn't, I mean, there's a real chance that it, you know, could and should be um, part of the top five, but we just haven't spent enough time with it to um, to really authoritatively put that in there. It's one of those, like, I just met you, you know, like we still got to get to know each other <laughs> a little bit. Um, I don't know if you're the one yet. You know, yeah. I mean, not like even going steady. It's, it, it is truly, truly great though. Like I, I absolutely adore it. And I, I, you know, it's whenever I reach for my switch, at least until pocket card jockey and stuff came out, it's, <laughs> there are a lot of things competing for my attention right now, but, um, but Bellatro is truly, it's like this, this video poker thing. Um, that is all about sort of like breaking the game and discovering like cool and interesting ways to just rack up insane, uh, points. And, uh, it's, it's a truly wonderful game and I, I highly recommend it. Um, quick shout outs to SteamWorld Quest, uh, the hand of Gilgamech, which is for me actually more of like a Paper Mario style thing than anything else, but it does have cards and deck building at the heart of it. Um, and we also need to shout out Wingspan because if we don't, Shy Guy would kill us. 
So <laughs> true story. I mm, yeah, just haven't really, played it. There's I just haven't played yeah. it. So a lot to that game though. There's a lot of stuff for that game. Check out. You know, talk to uh, uh, shy guy in the in the Discord. They'll tell you all about it. Yeah, Shy Guy adores that game. Sparky actually like started playing it this week, I think, and Shy Guy was oh, giving really? him nice. some some pointers. So, like, I'm sure Wingspan deserves to be on the list. Again, we just haven't played it, but we wanted to make sure we we shouted it out. Um, and there's honestly, there are so many. Like, we could probably sit here all night just like rattling off great yeah, card like games on dicey the Switch, dungeons, you know, yeah. stuff like. Yeah, that's why that again. That's just specifically why we wanted to drop this to the Nintendo Switch, but. Honestly, when it comes to our number one, there is a single game that really just kind of sits head and shoulder above the rest. A game that not only features cards in its core mechanics, it features cards within like all two dozen of its core mechanics. Yeah, our number one is Card Shark. Um, And Card Shark is an interesting game you know, it's, it's the type of game that like is not going to be for everybody, but at the, the heart of that yeah. game, it's about learning card tricks and it's about learning the way that card tricks are performed in like these kind of mini games. It's a lot to manage. It's a lot to think about, but at the end of the day, like unlike anything else on this list, card shark really does give you a tangible, like real world understanding of cards. I mean, even if I don't know that I could like pick up a deck of cards and perform any of those tricks in real life after playing card shark, it made me feel like I could, you know, like <laughs> you, you have to learn I'm a sleight of hand master. Yeah. Like you, you have to learn so many cool and interesting things. And like, it tells this like interesting story through the, you know, the like French like revolution and stuff like that. All these like cool, you know, sort of like, story moments peppered throughout that game but like it is the the core central mechanic that really elevates card shark above everything else on this list when it comes to card based games on the nintendo switch card shark is like the end all be all the card shark is going to give you a certain i mean like there, there are even little like terms and phrases that Card Shark taught me. Like I didn't know what in jogging a card was, you know, in <laughs> in a deck until playing Card Shark. I mean, like playing through that game, you're either gonna love it or you're gonna hate it, but you will come away with a deeper understanding of playing cards straight up. Yeah, and it doesn't just do this through the filter of a single card game like poker or something that's obviously in here but there are like two dozen separate card games that you'll become exposed to and that you'll learn throughout the throughout your time playing card shark in addition to these little cheating and sleight of hand tricks that are going to be incorporated into the entire experience if it were just a single game then card shark wouldn't be our number one but like Card Shark has more actual card games than Clubhouse games does. There's right. a staggering amount of card game based content within this title from Devolver Digital. It's got this wonderful, like Pentiment style uh, art style. Again, like Seth said, this really interesting kind of French Revolution narrative, and it's it's super super interesting. And if you want to learn 
more about cards, not saying that playing the game will immediately turn you into an IRL sleight of hand master, but you will gain some actual IRL knowledge about what goes on in the shadier part of the card gaming landscape. Yeah, the the important thing about a game like this is that it makes you feel like you've achieved a certain level of mastery. Weirdly enough, the game that I compare this to is Guitar Hero. Because Guitar Hero, like, you you play Guitar Hero, even if you're an expert-level Guitar Hero player, you're not going to pick up a real guitar and play guitar, right? But you feel like you could. Yeah, but but the important thing is the game makes you feel like a master when you are you know doing through the fire and flames or whatever you feel like you could pick up a guitar and shred you can't but you feel like you could <laughs> and card shark does that with playing cards you know I like you feel like you could go onto the street and scam people out of money you know so um, it's it's just it it is really um, impressive what Card Shark manages to achieve. So in terms of like this yeah. list, it had to be number one. Yeah, rolling credits on Card Shark essentially just is your application to go on Pin and Teller fool us. <laughs> yeah, or at least you feel like it is. But <laughs> exactly. Uh, before we wrap up, though, let's go through our top five one more time. Absolutely, our number five Clubhouse Games Fifty One Worldwide Classics. Our number four, the Voice of Cards trilogy. Our number three, the deck building adventure, Cobalt Core. Our number two, Pocket Card Jockey Ride On. And our number one, Card Shark. Mm-hmm. Good games. Good games yeah. all. Very good games. Uh, you know, obviously we've been thinking a lot about card games over the past week. And I'm certainly certain that you are going to be playing some more pocket card jockey this weekend my friend but uh i don't think it was any any coincidence that a lot of these games we shouted out were indie games it seems like we've been seeing a lot from the indie space when it comes to cards obviously we uh, shouted out inscription and slay the spire and stuff like that you know card shark was our number one and cobalt core and uh i mean uh, pocket card jockey not so much but there's still a ton of unique and interesting indie representation from uh, the card gaming landscape and really just from the indie landscape indeed over the past week. It's been a very, very strong week this past week for indie titles. Yeah. And I mean, like there, there is an indie game that, that we've been following for quite some time. Thanks to our friends at Limited Run Games who passed along a code. Um, we've played it. We've fallen in love with it, and we're here to report our full findings this week in our Indie Showcase on our Zet, the Jewel of Faramore. So our Zet, the Jewel of Faramore, finally released. We've been following it for a little while. We obviously had yeah. uh, Seth and Adi on the show last year, and I got to tell you, man, like I am so pleased with the way the final game came out, it is, and like, I'm just, I'm not even going to bury the lead. Arzet is my favorite game of 2024 so far, <laughs> straight up. Well, the way it just so lovingly pays homage to, to those old Philips CDI games. You know, you and I are of that age where the Philips CDI has entered this kind of weird place within video game history where it's, 
like it was so loathed and hated that kind of like almost like the Hayden Christensen of the video game industry. It's like come full circle and now become beloved in its own weird way. And seeing Seth and Audie and the people over at the wonderfully wink, wink, nudge, nudge named CDI games, the way that they were able to, to, to really pay tribute to what those games could and frankly should have been is just a delight to behold while you're playing this game from start to finish. It really is. Well, it's, it's the kind of thing, like, I don't have a ton of love and nostalgia for those games. Like, I didn't play them yeah. when they first came out. I played them, like, via emulation, like, way later. And, mm-hmm. you know, have, have messed with them, you know. And, like, yeah, like, those those games are bad from the traditional sense. However, Seth and Audie love those games. And, like, you can feel the the love and passion in every single frame of our set and that is what is so appealing to me about this is just the like the work and the artistry and the care that has gone into this game of not only making it because like yeah obviously it takes its inspirations from this very hyper specific you know sort of time and place and platform yeah. and, and all the rest but like it understands and extracts like the core like beating heart of those games and what those people found special about those games. And it is never beholden to them. It's never like, yeah, there are a couple of little like winks and nods and Easter eggs and references and stuff, but it's not like a meme game. It's not like, Hey, look at what we're doing. Isn't that wacky? It is its own thing. (laughs) And it is first and foremost, like primarily concerned with just being a good game. Yeah. But one of the things I love most about it is what they were trying to do is they were trying to positively remind people about this very hyper-specific place and time within the industry. And to do that, they realized very intelligently that they didn't want to that they didn't want to emulate the games, or that's probably not the best word. They didn't want to like go about recreating how the games were necessarily. They wanted to recreate how it made people feel and how people remember them, which is a little bit left of center. And the fact that they realized that and focused on that rather than trying to, you know, directly cut and paste or directly overlap uh, too much of what was going on from that console, I think is really what is ultimately going to set RZ uh, apart when it comes to looking back on, on 2024. And there's a lot of really cool things specifically that I'm excited to talk about uh, when it comes to this game. Uh, but just really quickly, shout out to the game's opening cutscene, which is the most beautifully crayon drawn thing I've maybe ever seen in uh, a video game. But the fact that it's punctuated by this opening title crawl of uh, like how I remember the old 90s geometric attempts at CGI trying to be these weird, awkward uh, 3D text crawls of geometric letters appearing on screen just to show like RZ as if it was a Macintosh 1993 computer or something. It's just it's chef's kiss 
from the moment the first frame falls into panel. Yeah, it's this like it's this hand drawn like tapestry that the you know the game is kind of like spending a couple of minutes to and it's it's just like yeah, games of long. that era were <laughs> it's it's pretty long and like it's setting up like the the world and everything and just this like most like impenetrable way like it's it reminds you of like when you're a kid and you boot those games up you're like what like what are these words like this means nothing you know <laughs> um and but but it's like setting up the world and it's kind of giving you everything you need with this beautiful art i mean yeah like the team cdi software just is seth and the like the the rest of if you look at the game's credits like the bulk of what's happening here is like seth is making the game Audi, yeah. you know, has some input. People like John Linneman from um, from Digital Foundry have some input, and um, the rest is just all artists that have helped with like the animation and stuff like this. I mean, this is a very tight knit thing. And again, like when you have a collective of artists who are you know together making this thing that they're all passionate about and working together, like the thing that they produce cannot be anything but art. And um, I don't know, man, like, like that, that's just like so key to what I love about this game. Um, we should talk though about what the actual like game is. Um, yeah. because I will like, say just very quickly before we get into the game proper, when it comes to the team, um, huge shout out to LRG, uh, helping put this game together and realizing to have a light touch when it came to the oversight of this and allowing Seth to to really fulfill that vision for the game because it could have been so easy for them to be more heavy-handed with the direction considering that LRG was publishing that so shout out to them I think this is actually LRG's first digital published game or one of their first if not the first they they published some smaller stuff but I think this is like one of the the ones they've like they're really sort of behind. they're really hitching their their yeah her hitching their cart too yeah and and I think that um I mean like to be completely frank like there was no better partner possible for this game yeah. than than LRG I mean the fact that like they they're the releasing company that remade plumbers don't wear ties <laughs> yeah like they're releasing <laughs> I mean, a collector's yeah. edition that that has like a Philips CDI controller you know like USB controller and stuff like I mean there there just was no better uh partner for this game it really kind of was a match made in heaven I mean this game is just a bunch of great tastes that taste great together sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like the, the game though, for anybody kind of curious, cause you know, we, we can and will talk about like all of the flowery things that make this game great and special, but like the actual gameplay, I would actually probably relate it closest to something like a wonder boy or a Shantae. Exactly. Um, yeah. In terms of like this kind of, yeah. Combat platformer with light Metroidvania elements. Yeah, specifically like the older Shantae games, because the the most recent one that came out, Seven Sirens, was a true Metroidvania. But the older Shantae games were still level-based. They were yeah. environments that had a beginning and an end. However, you would find yourself returning to these levels, returning to these environments for different reasons as 
like in any good Metroidvania, you continue to level up and get new powers, new abilities, which allowed you to continue to explore more of the environment and find things that you weren't able to find on previous playthroughs. And Arzette basically just is that. You play as the titular princess uh, who runs through, I think, about 15 different levels, but finds yourself kind of returning to them time and time again in order to find new items, find new abilities, find new upgrades and weapons in order to continue to progress through the game, finish quests, defeat bosses, and so on and so forth. Pretty much, yeah. It's um, it's it's this kind of like nice um openness that I don't think I was expecting from the game. Like when you when you get into it, like you're kind of presented with these you know handfuls of levels, and, and the game will kind of like open up and give you you know three or four new levels at a time to explore. It doesn't ever like overwhelm you with all of that stuff. But I wasn't yeah. really like. I don't know, for some reason coming into this, we had seen little snippets of gameplay and stuff, but I don't think I was really expecting it to be what it is. I didn't think I was like expecting to have that kind of freedom to like pop in and out of levels, grab items that are used for quests or whatever. Like I thought it would be kind of a more like straightforward and linear experience. So discovering that it actually is quite open um, was a pleasant surprise for me. Yeah. And like I, I don't necessarily mind that structure and the levels themselves, especially once you've gone through them a couple times, you can go beginning to end. You don't wind up necessarily having to spend too much time in them. There are only a few spots where you can even enter or exit a level. That being said, there is an item that helps with that. But um, it became kind of one of those things where you start with a a very basic move set, but you pick up something which allows you to, you know, uh, well, you'll, as you're playing through the levels, you'll constantly run across very obvious portions that you can't get to until you get a new mobility option, or you'll constantly run into different colored barriers that you'll eventually get the ability to tear down. And there's so many of these various obstacles or uh, impediments that you'll run across that, like I had no, like I couldn't possibly keep track of all of them. So anytime that I got a new ability, what I found myself doing is basically just kind of replaying through all the levels that I had access to up to that point, seeing okay, it's like, okay, I just got this blue ability. Let me just, let me play through all the levels again real quick, just to find out, just to find all the blue areas so I could, you know, get past them and find there. And hopefully one of those blue areas has the next piece of the puzzle or the next ability that I'll need to, you know, to further progress or to further explore the previous levels. I probably play, especially the the first few levels you get access to. In my initial playthrough of this game, I probably played through those first two or three levels, maybe like 10, maybe 12 times. Yeah. Well, it's the, it's the kind of thing where like... um you know, there, there are going to be people that encounter that and are going to be annoyed by that. Because I do think that, yeah. like, if, if I have any, like, complaint to lodge against it, it is that. It is, like, the sort of, the, the vagueness and the expectation of, like, you better remember where these things are with no real way to, like, you know, 
take stock of them short of like what, what I ended up doing, which is like making actual notes, like on my phone. Um, you know, if Dude, you, when this game finally gets released in LRG, I hope like just the back half of the instruction manual is, you know how we had like the old instruction manuals, just places to write notes in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hope just the entire back half of the manual is just like open notebook. Yeah. Like I, I wound up just taking notes, on, which, which is kind of cool. Like I personally think that's kind of neat. Cause it, again, kind of throws it back to, you know, yeah. the, the old school design philosophies, not, you know, so, so even like that would be the closest thing I have to like a complaint. Um, but that's just because I know that some people aren't going to dig that for me. I'm with you. I think that the levels are tight enough. Like most of the levels are actually only like five or six screens. Um, yeah. it's yeah, not they keep like them just tight enough to where the, the thought of having to revisit them is is not really an annoyance to me at least no and on top of that as you get deeper into the game and you unlock new items and abilities i mean like you can get to the point where you're just carving through these levels like a hot knife yeah. through butter like by by the end of the game your your speed is increased you've got multiple jumps a hover the ability to just make yourself invincible if you want so like if I ever had a moment where I'm doing like cleanup for a hundred percent, I would just like turn on invincibility and just like quickly get to where I need to go and just walk through all the enemies. I mean, the game has got several things in place for you to break it just like those old games did. <laughs> I mean, break it really is kind of the right word. Just like in any game like this, like we've already alluded to, you're going to continue to collect more items, more abilities, more weapons, more tools, uh, that will allow you to to do more within the game. And some of them are just so powerful that, I, I mean, trivialize kind of is the right word for, for some of the aspects of the game. You get some crazy mobility options that, yeah, like you said, just lets you start to carve through these levels incredibly quickly. You wind up getting uh, some weapons that make combat essentially a non-issue and there's even some you know some yeah i want to say well hidden items but there's a uh, some items off the beaten path a little ways that will even turn some of the boss fights into almost kind of laughable encounters yeah yeah well and it's it's funny too because like the the game knows that like it's not like an like it's not an unintentional like oh they just didn't think yeah. of this and now I'm breaking it kind of thing because there, there's <laughs> there's even plenty of things set up in there to like straight up sequence break. Like if you, you know, if you need to like speed runs of this game are going to be so much fun to uh, to yeah. watch. And like the, the game is not very long either, which again is going to be a make it or break it thing. I 100% of the game in under five hours. Um, yeah. So just yeah, so you all know. Right not it it's not that long and um there are like uh, there there's an additional mode that is unlocked kind of a harder difficulty mode um yeah, after you beat mode, the game yeah. hero mode yeah and you can even play the game like in a classic mode which uh you have to like press up to jump you know um just like those old CDI games and stuff so so there are a couple <laughs> of different i guess ways to to play the game but um but yeah i think most people will get through this thing in 3 to 5 hours depending on how much time you want to spend completing it yeah but i mean that being said there's the like in large part because of that i think the pace of the game is so brisk 
it, it'll probably just be a one sitting game for many people. You'll start playing it. You'll find one thing. And then all of a sudden you'll realize that thing can do this thing over here. You'll go over here and do this thing. And it'll be like just dominoes falling. You'll just keep doing one thing after the other. And then all of a sudden you realize, Oh, you're at the final boss. I will say when it came to trying to keep everything in line, I got into a nice rhythm. This was a two sitting game for me. I got into a nice rhythm my my first time I was playing it and, and was able to get a lot of stuff done and had a good had a good rhythm going. <laughs> and then like uh, I come back to it the next day and all of a sudden I feel completely lost. I have all these stages in front of me. I can't remember what I had just done. I completely lost my momentum. So I had to kind of replay some things, kind of refine myself and where I was at in the game. Because again, it's not just, you're not just, going from the beginning to the end of the level and then going to the next one, you really should look at these collection of levels as effectively like just a segmented Metroidvania map that you're just constantly having to re-explore. And you can basically just think of the beginning and ends of the levels as fast travel points within this Metroidvania map. But regardless of that, like the pace and the amount of stuff that you'll find and that you'll do is like, there's always something new to see. And it's not just finding new abilities or new items. There are a ton of just wonderfully bonkers characters in this game to interact with. Uh, I kind of love slash hate Dale, um, (laughs) which is, which is fully intentional they completely rode the razor's edge on that one. Uh, and there's some wonderful allusions and wonderful references that that character, and one of the most savage insults leveled against Dale that I've ever seen in video games ever, <laughs> which was amazing. I think you know what I'm talking about, Seth. Yeah. Um, but there's so many wonderful NPCs in this game that are all fully voice acted. It's really mm-hmm. amazing from these weird like rat men in the wall to this bar to this weird like moose barkeep and and everything in between. It's it's so cool to to run. What was your favorite NPC? Do you think, Seth? Um, it's a tough question. There's there's a lot of really good ones. I like. There's a sort of like skeleton Elvis greaser type. Dude, yes. Yeah. Um, that, that I really love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's probably my favorite. I don't know. There's, there's a lot of really good ones. I, um, you know, I like, like the ogre gardener. Yeah. Yeah. She's really good. Yeah. There's, she is, um, yeah. whenever you meet, uh, like the, the fairy, um, in this game, oh, that's yeah. really good. Just the, the <laughs> cutscenes are so good because they, like they capture, you know, for anybody who's not seen like what these Philips CDI games looked like, um, you know, like the backgrounds and like the game, like it looks like this kind of like cross between like chunky sprites, but also like painterly backgrounds that you kind of just like, you know, jump and move between, but then you'll encounter like an NPC or whatever. And you're interacting with everything by hitting it with your sword. Um, yeah which is totally, you know, true to form, but then it just like superimposes on top of the gameplay these like MS Paint looking 
exactly. you know, painstakingly animated, you know, kind of intentionally ugly, which kind of makes them beautiful, you know, little animations. And it's, it's just wonderful, man. Like, oh, I love it. I mean, cause that's, that's exactly what the Philips CDI games had. If you ever played like Wand of Gamelon or Faces of Evil, it had cutscenes that genuinely looked like they were animated frame by frame in early 90s versions of MS Paint. And that's exactly what they did here with all these incredibly exaggerated gestures and these super over-the-top characters. You know, you talk about the fairy. Uh, I mean, that's just, that's one of the wildest characters in the game. And I don't even want to talk about what substances she may or may not have been uh, <laughs> just fairy dust. Using. What are you talking about? Just exactly. It's just fairy <laughs> dust. You know, a little dabble do you of that apparently. But uh, well, another one of the things I love is the people they got to voice these characters absolutely went in. They absolutely went in. There was no reserved vocal performances in this game whatsoever. All the vocal performances were just as over the top as the animation itself. And it was. Uh, again, it's just so wonderfully bizarre in a nostalgic, perfectly early nineties way that like somehow, somehow captures exactly what I remember the Philips CDI to be like. Yeah. It's it, the, the vocal performances are all just kind of like over the top, but, but still earnest. And even like they intentionally kind of like blow out the audio, you know, of them. And yeah, uh, and that's really effective. And I mean, yeah, like they, 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 they did the work. They got Jeffrey Rath who voiced mm-hmm. Link in those old games. He's in the game. Mm-hmm. Bonnie mm-hmm. Jean Wilbur, who voices Zelda in those games is in the game as well. Like they, you know, they, they did the work and got those people involved. And I, I, I want to give a special shout out. Cause they also have a couple of like, um, like vine sauce. Vinny does a voice in the game. Yeah. Um, you know, like uh, Modern Vintage Gamer does a voice. Yeah. Actually, Seth, Audie, Josh, like they do multiple yeah, voices. Yeah, Josh Fairhurst is a voice in the Exactly, yeah. They, they do a bunch of that stuff. But um, I want to give a special shout out to the, the voice of RZ, this actress named Angel Haven Ray, who I was looking at her IMDb and I, I don't, like I recognize some of the games that she's done like small roles in, but she's a relative unknown. I thought she did a great job as yeah, RZ. she did. Like, yeah, she was awesome. Yeah, so. really, really good job. Real, I think, like, because it must have been so hard to try to get into this character to try to figure out how you want this character to sound or be portrayed because this character is kind of supposed to be the straight person in this world of chaos. And, but she's still this animated cartoon character, essentially. So, but I, I thought the I thought she struck a really nice balance with Arzette. Yeah, she's got this kind of like confidence to her, but she's still like likable and and relatable. And yeah, yeah, I I don't know. I I really just kind of dug her her entire performance. And I also have to give a special shout out to the composer of the game, dude, um, Jake Silverman. Man, oh my god, yeah, dude, <laughs> Grammy award winning Jake Silverman. <laughs> um, who uh, is part of the 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 band that did that um that that Meta Knight um remix or whatever that got the Grammy mm-hmm. a few years mm-hmm. ago? Um, that is who is doing the music for this. This is his first like fully like led you know as a composer like led uh, project, and it's amazing. Like he did a yeah. great job. 
with this game. Yeah, we soundtrack. haven't talked about the the music yet, but yeah, the the soundtrack alone is genuinely worth something to write home for. This <laughs> records are not something that I find myself looking at very often because I don't even have a record player. But after playing through the game, I found myself just kind of hovering over the vinyl for the RZ soundtrack online. I was like, oh man, mm, should you I get yourself, get yourself a regular cheap. Now you can get one for like 80 <laughs> bucks. Just get one, you know? But yeah, honestly, like in addition to just being genuinely great, again, somehow Jake Silverman finds a way. I don't know what instruments he used. I don't know what techniques he used. Cause again, I'm not super knowledgeable when it comes to that type of stuff. But again, the music also somehow really fits the time. It fits the place. It fits that hyper-specific part of the industry. And even just listening to the soundtrack, I was transported back to stuff like Legend with Tom Cruise and those old 80s and early 90s, like kind of high fantasy uh, stories. And somehow the music also fit perfectly in line with everything that they were trying to do, which... Uh, again, I can't imagine that could have been easy, but they pulled that off as well, which blew my mind. Every new stage, I just listened to to what was going on. The um, the uh, the the ice mountain thing, which is uh, uh, Chillinax Peaks, mm-hmm. uh, is probably among my favorite tracks. But uh, again, most of them are most of them are just genuinely nice to listen to, even if you just want to set the controller down for a couple minutes. Yeah, I, I love like the the main Fairmore town theme is is really yeah the main good. theme's it, great too yeah it's it's all really good stuff like and and you know the the thing is is like I mean even that was was true of those old like CDI games those those games had amazing soundtracks that were like way stronger than they had yeah. any right to be so you know that that's just kind of yet another way in which this game kind of you know understands the assignment it you know that when i made the the youtube video if you want to see the game in motion you can go to our youtube channel and uh, and see me play um a little bit of the game um and that was what i titled the video was arzet understands the assignment and i think that's the <laughs> best way of putting it like i can't really think of another game that like gets it the way this game does. Like we've, you know, there's plenty of games who emulate a certain period of time or feeling or something, but this game says, you know, there was something special about that. And this is what was special. This is what was always good about them. And we've made a genuinely great game around it. And it comes in with such confidence that like, it like it knows that it's good and it knows that it's kind of blazing its own trail to the point where i mean like i don't think it's really a spoiler to say like they're apparently thinking of this as like a new franchise like the the credit says rz will return yeah (laughs) i didn't want to specifically say that but they pulled like a marvel teaser at the end of the credits like dot 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 rz will return and i mean they know they have something here. I don't really blame them. There's a lot that they could do from here. And there's a lot that they've already done with this game. Despite the fact that again, you could probably hundred percent it in five hours. There's so much packed in to this experience. There's so many different enemies that you can face. There's a ton of different items and weapons. Even if you just like, when you look at the, the stages on the world map, you have this kind of laundry list of stuff that you can find and do within each stage. There are these 
hidden coins that you can find in each stage. There are these uh, like magic candles that serve as a weird kind of currency. Every stage that you come across has a hidden like mini game that you can take part in, which by those mini games are also fantastic. The background and just kind of the way they're presented and the references to hotel Mario. Yeah. Just even more chef's kisses. There's there's a lot of stuff to do within RZ, and this is clearly something that that uh, Seth and Audie and Josh and everybody over there at CDI Games and LRG really feels like it's got a lot of legs for the future. And I'm I'm here for it, man. Yeah, I just I love that confidence. I love the confidence of hey, we're making a spiritual successor to games that most people hate, and. We know that it's so good that we're even confident enough to tease that it's this isn't the end. Before the game came out, they knew that they were going to continue down this path and I just I love it for that. Like I like this to me is like this is what video games are all about, man. Like to yeah. to have something like this with this much passion behind it. Um I I just I I loved every second of it. You know, again, the game's kind of short. It has a little bit of obtuseness. I we should also say there is a forthcoming patch that might actually be live by the time y'all are listening Probably, to this. Yeah. Um, that that kind of you know adds a little bit of additional signposting to to things that might remove some of those more backtracky elements that we talked about earlier. So yeah. you know e- even that I think might have some of its edges smoothed out for you by the time you play it. Um, but I, I highly recommend it to, you know, just about anybody. I think, um, you know, I think there's a lot to love here. Yeah. If you're not somebody who is enamored with the idea of has no love or nostalgia for, you know, seeing a CDI based game, if you're just looking at it from a fear, from a fear, from a pure gameplay standard, uh, and standpoint, I can, you know, kind of see how, you know, being able to 100% the game in five hours, the fact that it's ultimately, you know, a very straightforward type of platformer. Um, but if you enjoy Shantae, if you enjoy games like that, I recommend checking out our Zet. It may not be, you know, the best platformer, but for what it is and what it was always supposed to be, it's, it's an A plus in, in every category as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I mean, honestly, Seth, the title of your video is about as good as I could put it, uh, possibly put it. The game just understood the assignment at the end of the day and comes incredibly highly recommended from us here at All In. Yep. It's uh, $19.99 digitally. There is a physical version on LRG's website uh, available for pre-order right now um, for $34.99 for the the base version of the game and $89.99 for the collector's edition. You can also get, uh, Eric mentioned earlier, a vinyl of the soundtrack. They even have like a shirt on the website. They've got that, you know, that... um, like CDI controller that you can get. So um, plenty of RZ C- stuff. CD dash I not CDI is in the game studio. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, <laughs> there's a lot of RZ stuff that you can throw your money at if you want to. Um, so definitely, uh, definitely give that a look too. But Eric, RZ is not the only sort of, uh, you know, retro mindset that we've been in this week. No, no, no. Over the past couple of weeks, we've had a few games drop on us that, uh, you know, really took us back in time to the years of yore. And, you know, some people may 
complain and they may accuse Nintendo of relying too much on remakes or re-releases. But there's a few that I think are really special. A lot that I'm glad have been brought to modern consoles. Games that otherwise I think would have been forgotten about. Uh, But does this really tick any of those boxes? Is this remake or re-release, does it justify its own existence? Well, we're going to talk about it right now because we are about to give you all our full review of Mario vs. Donkey Kong for the Nintendo Switch. have never joined us for an all-in review before here is how it goes first of all we do not issue number scores for our reviews sorry metacritic slash open critic or whatever um we think that video games are too complex as an art form to boil down to a single number so we don't do that we're just going to give you our 100 honest thoughts and opinions and let you the uh the listener slash viewer uh determine what you think um, and uh, in addition to that, we like to structure our reviews uh, in a couple of different ways. We are going to start uh, by talking about the narrative of the game. We're going to talk about the presentation of the game, the music of the game, and finally, uh, the gameplay. And we do that to structure the review, not only for you, uh, for ease of listening, but for us, um, so that we don't get too ahead of ourselves and, you know, go all over the place, give ourselves a little bit of a point of order. Um, so yeah, I mean, let's, let's get into it, man. Mario versus Donkey Kong, the switch remake of a GBA game, as a matter of fact. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, Nintendo has leaned into this idea of remaking, re-releasing old games, especially on the Nintendo Switch. I mean, it's been such a gargantuan success. Well, why wouldn't you? But I, I still think that this was a little bit of a surprise. Nintendo certainly has plenty of games in their back catalog. Not saying that, you know, I was like, they shouldn't have done it. They should have done another game. But when I saw that this was being remade, this was like, a, okay. Fair enough. Didn't see this one coming, but I see what you're doing. Uh, but now here we have it. They, uh, you know, nearly 20 years to the month after the original released on uh, GBA, here we have Nintendo versus or Nintendo. We have Mario versus Donkey Kong, basically like a spiritual successor to DK94 mm-hmm. uh, here available for a new generation. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. I think a lot of people admittedly myself included when they first announced this, I was like kind of scratching my head a little bit. I was like, who is this really for? Um, and I, you know, even after playing the game, I don't know that I have a good answer to that, to be honest. (laughs) Um, despite the fact that like the game is really good, it's always been really good. I think a lot of people sort of deride the Mario versus Donkey Kong series or, or write it off because for a while there, they were churning them out, you know, so quickly. Um, and you know, and, and these were, these have always been just solid, like puzzle games, um, that like you said, are kind of a, 
spiritual successor to DK 94, which is a, a wonderful game that is very so well regarded. Right. So it, it is. I love like, in the modern age that there's been like this, whatever the opposite of erasure is for DK 94, it yeah. didn't remotely get its flowers back when it first came out. But now everybody is like, Oh yeah. DK 94 was one of the best things ever. Best thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm just so happy in my heart that the game that deserves to be remembered as a classic is finally being remembered as such. And you can absolutely see why the Mario mm-hmm. versus Donkey Kong franchise kind of came out of this, even though, like you said, it did wind up getting a little bit too saturated for its own good, especially in the late 3DS kind of Wii U era, especially with like that weird kind of amiibo uh, yeah. game that, that they put out where you had to specifically unlock most of the game, most of the stages through Amiibo. But you know, this is this is not a a retrospective on this franchise. We are here to talk about one game in particular. Yeah. So so I mean, this is a remake of the first game, and it it feels a little bit weird to start with story. I guess on this, these uh, you know, these these again are puzzle games. So th- these are not very story heavy games. There is a setup. Also a Mario game. So I mean, yeah, like th- there is a setup. And that's really about it. <laughs> yeah. When it comes to the narrative of Mario versus Donkey Kong, this was not something that they decided to expand on with the remake. And I can't really fault them for that. But story is DK sees new shiny thing. DK wants new shiny thing. DK takes new shiny thing. Mario goes after DK to get back new shiny thing. And yep, that's really it. That is really it. You spend the entire game going after Donkey Kong to get the shiny things back until eventually you get to the end of the game. And I'm sorry, massive spoilers for the end of the game. You get the shiny thing back. Yep. I mean, you know, like that, that is about the size of what's going on here. It's not, you're not playing this game for story. This is a puzzle no. game. This is, you know, like. <laughs> Telltale, this is not. No, like this is, you know, like this game knows what it's about. It's not trying to overcomplicate things. Um, but like, I, I will say, you know, some of the things that, that we should hit on at a couple of different stages in this review as a remake, um, it has at least added a couple of things to, to the game. And part of it is, you know, this is like a typical Mario game, like a world based structure. Um, you go through these different worlds and you solve a set of puzzles in those worlds. It ends in a boss fight against DK rinse and repeat until you finish the game. Um, and they did add two new worlds to the core game. And to be honest, they're probably my favorite of the set. Like they, they did. I, I do think that they fit in well. Cause I think it's the, it's like the carnival stage and the snow yes. stage, right? Yes. Slippery summit, which I think was frankly the worst part of the game. Really? Personally. Yeah. Uh, so, but I'm looking forward to talking more about that when we get to the gameplay aspect of it. But yes, uh, even though those extra added worlds don't really add any narrative no. uh, to it, uh, there is, weirdly, there is kind of a a Mario 3D Land-esque uh, approach to the gameplay progression mm-hmm. where you play through these eight worlds you fight DK as a final boss, you see the credits roll, but then the game just kind of keeps it, going. It doubles, basically. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> so it's 
it's it's a really big kind of fake out moment question mark but uh the the narrative of the game such as it is is psych you gotta go after dk some more so that's the plot twist of mario versus donkey kong uh halfway through i mean i guess you could technically stop playing there, there's even the like, credits, but yeah there's multiple credit rolls even yeah right so yeah yeah but yeah so that's that's really about as much you know juice as we can squeeze out of the narrative right. of mario versus donkey kong you guys know what you're here for it was never the story however i will say when it comes to presentation I mean, this is admittedly one heck of a glow up. Obviously, the 20 years in between the original and this game, plus the fact that this is being released on console and not on... For the few of you that would argue this in the comments, yes, I know the Switch is also technically a handheld, but come on, semantics. We know what the Nintendo Switch is. This is not being released on the Game Boy Advance. It's being released on the Switch in 2024. It got one heck of a facelift this is after all a first party nintendo game and presentationally speaking that nintendo polish is absolutely here in spades for me like that word that you just use polish is Mm -hmm. like the the word that i the single word i would use to describe this whole thing this is a very very polished game and like there there are gonna be people who don't dig the art style of this because like this this is kind of the The like this is yeah well it's like it's not even just that it's like the the bog standard rule book of like this is what mario looks like this is what donkey kong looks like like yeah. it is if, like, if you look up those characters, if there were a dictionary and you would look them up, this is what you would see. There's no, like, you know, there's not a Mario wonder esque, like art stroke to it. You know, there's no real art design going on here. Right. It is, it is the Nintendo aesthetic, uh, very strongly at play, but again, polished to a darn mirror sheen because of the fact that, you know, because of what the game is, they were able to put a lot of time, effort, and memory into making sure that the game ran uh, as good as possible and looked as good as possible. This is something that you specifically mentioned when we both played the demo, but the cutscenes, which were initially just a few stills yeah, uh, back on the GBA, have turned into darn near cinema quality CGI cutscenes in this title, they wouldn't have completely looked out of place if Nintendo decided to make a feature length movie of Mario with this aesthetic. So again, the facelift, the presentation of, of this game is, is really just top notch again, exactly what you would expect from Nintendo in 2024, just special shout out to all the toy versions I of love all of the, of the classic, enemies. the classic Mario enemies, the classic Mario characters. Obviously, the focus is going to be on the Mario minis themselves. But from the first stage, and you see the shy guy wind up toys. So good. They just like, oh my god! If Nintendo had just released this five years earlier, they could have done a thirty amiibo toy line and i would have trampled over young children to get them all (laughs) yeah yeah i love that i love the whole like toy aesthetic of it and i do think that like the the worlds that we have here are have a lot of variety like a lot of like visual variety to them i think it's about 
you know, again, it, it doesn't have like an art direction stroke to it, but like for what it is, for it being just this very clean, sort of very polished thing, it is about as good as you could hope for it runs flawlessly like there's no you know the load times are quick it's it's like a a, just a very smooth like polished experience it is gorgeous those colors on the oled screen are beautiful um it's it's just very very uh high standard and i i want to give a special shout out to the main menu of the game (laughs) i that main menu mario and dk just kind of in each corner and like there the the render of them is so high quality. Like I just stare at it. I'm I'm like you can see all the individual hairs on DK. You can yeah. see the stitching in Mario's hat. Like yeah. I I I probably spent a good like 10 minutes just looking at the main menu. Like it's beautiful. Yeah. And I'm sure that that was part of the direction as well. Like listen, we're not talking about some massive big open world game that we've got to, you know, sit and toil over you know, 10 billion square kilometers of, of yeah. level design. They already had the game 80% pre-made. They knew exactly what the game was going to look like, exactly what the game was going to, uh, you know, be designed like. Obviously, yes, they've got the new content, but by and large, they already had the blueprint in place. They just had to make sure that it looked as good as possible. They had to make sure it looked like a game that could come out in 2024. And from that aspect, if you're just taking that aspect alone in a vacuum, uh, you get an A plus for effort. Yeah, total. I mean, and and like, especially you consider that and execution, vast... not just effort, execution right. as well. Absolutely. And, and I mean, when, when you consider that this is for the vast majority of the stages in the game, single screen puzzles, Yeah, you know, like it is just so clean and like just, you know, so tightly designed in that regard. So I just, yeah, I, I give it full marks for, for what it is. I think that, you know, I, I've, I've looked at like some other people talking about the game and I think that people are latching on to wishing this game was something that it just isn't. Mm-hmm. And you know, I like that to me is a shame because like for, for exactly what this is, the way they've handled the presentation of it and like making it a remake of an old game it, like that to me, I'm like, they like, what do you, what more do you want? You know, like it, it's great. So yeah, full marks for me for presentation. I, I think it's great. Uh, yeah. However, comma space, uh, despite getting an a plus for the presentation, uh, like what is a higher rank that we could give the music an, an S it gets an S, a, an whatever, S plus yeah. plus plus for the music because we got a little taste of this during the demo, but the music is just excellent. Just mm-hmm. like not even good. Just like excellent throughout from start to finish. That's just absolutely on point. And despite the fact that I think you and I are going to disagree about a few things in com- when it comes to the ice world, the sure. music in the ice world is phenomenal.
It's so good. And there's so many tunes and so many worlds where you can just hear like the sax come in and the violin come in and it's just beautiful. It really is. It kind of reminds me of that weird TikTok that they use the the GoldenEye pause music for. You know, the Mm. guy comes in and he's like, hey, we have a licensed video game that we're just looking for some pause music for, not really trying to get too crazy here. And the guy just starts playing Grant Kirkhope's iconic tune from that game. And then they, you know, both of the characters who are portrayed by the same guy just start like losing their mind and dancing. That's basically what I did the entire time. It's like, hey, we're just looking for some remake music for some single screen puzzles, a remake of a Game Boy Advance from 2024. We're not trying to get too crazy here. And then it's like you got endless whisper playing in the background, like, and I'm just back here losing my mind. My brain's exploding. Like, what is going on? It's insane. It, it is the front runner for best soundtrack of the year. It, it is the game to beat for me for best soundtrack of the year. Um, I wanted to make sure I got his his name right. Um, yeah. The composer Lawrence Schwedler is the composer. Um, and this is a scenario kind of like with Yokoshima Mora and Mario RPGs remake last year, where the original composer of the game has returned to sort of like redo their own work. And I always love it when that happens, but this is such like, this is the best example of that. Like in the history of video games, as far as I'm concerned, like I, I, you know, like Mario RPGs soundtrack, the, the redone music from Yokoshimura was incredible. But the way Great, that yeah. this dude has reframed his own work because it's such a jump going from the GBA to the Nintendo Switch, like what is possible on the Switch, it's such a massive leap. And he has taken his original compositions and turned them into this, yeah, jazzy whimsical like i i always compare it to like i feel like i'm you know like walking down a a brooklyn street in the middle of like summer on a saturday morning it's just like almost like sesame street coded a little bit like i I just man i love it it's like every track is phenomenal he just crushed it My, my favorite track in the game is actually the track that plays on the mini mario stages like, dude, yeah. I'll just sit there and listen to that track. Like, I'll just I'll just sit there like and let the timer run down, just like listening to it. <laughs> it's just phenomenal work from like just like the whole thing all killer no filler on this soundtrack full marks yeah yeah absolutely uh nintendo really should start their own vinyl collection at this I point agree. yeah oh, i would <laughs> buy a vinyl for the, this is this would be the perfect game like unlike you know like i would buy a ton of nintendo vinyl they would get so much money out of me if they did that but no, like you no. <laughs> yeah but but like this one is just like even if you remove the fact that it's a Mario and Donkey Kong game, it's just a great collection of jazz music. Yeah, like, like I would just throw that on while I'm like cooking or whatever. Like it's just a great collection of jazz music. Even remove, it does have like some of your, your Mario and your Donkey Kong themes and like your, whatever your standards, but like, man, 
it is just a wonderful jazz, a piece of jazz work uh, as it is. It's just wonderful, wonderful stuff. It is, again, in my opinion, the the score to beat for 2024 already. Uh, but here we go. Here we have it. This completely narrativeless game that is <laughs> a wonderfully polished jazz masterpiece. But how does it actually play? And if you are a fan of the original, specifically just looking to revisit a game from your childhood or for some of us, just from our earlier adulthood, uh, then you will probably be very pleased with the result. This was, as it was always explicitly stated to be, a remake of Mario versus Donkey Kong. When it comes to the gameplay, they did not make these large sweeps. The gameplay has not evolved to be unrecognizable from what it was. It is, for all intents and purposes, just an extremely polished version of that GBA game that you played back in 2004 with some extra content. It is Mario versus Donkey Kong Deluxe. Now, for those who haven't played uh, Mario versus Donkey Kong before, what can you expect? Well, while it is a platformer starring the iconic plumber, this is not nearly as action-oriented as no. many of the Mario games you've probably played in the past. This is a puzzle platformer, and there are several different types of stages at play here. But first and foremost, uh, while it's not necessarily difficult, the onus is on figuring out how to navigate the stages in most part, rather than the challenge of performing that navigation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of times it's going to be like you, you come into a stage and you sort of have to spend a little time figuring out what it is you need to do. And then like that, that's where the challenge comes in is like figuring out what it is you need to do versus doing it because you don't often have like some, looming threat there are a couple of enemies that have like you know attack patterns or whatever but for the most part you know even the antagonistic forces at play here are just kind of walking around and you're yeah. not in any real danger other than like bumping into them or something or mistiming a jump or or whatever i mean the you you really are just figuring out what it how it is you need to do what you need to do and just executing it and sometimes that requires especially in some of the harder levels um sometimes it requires a lot of like back and forth and patience and like sort of like waiting for things to line up correctly and like you know there, there can be a lot of moving pieces to it yeah so. and very often the enemies those antagonistic forces you were talking about very often those wind up being tools that yeah. you need in order to navigate the stage uh, in the first place, but uh, the the little hooks, the little gimmicks that are at play in most of the stages for the first part of the game, up until the first time you roll credits on Mario right. versus Donkey Kong, all the quote unquote normal stages that you're going to go through are two separate screens. The first screen is a locked door. You find the key, you navigate your way to the key, and then you navigate your way to the door with the gimmick being that Mario has to literally like super Mario brothers two style yep. carry the key to the door. And even that aspect can wind up presenting a bit of a challenge. Mm -hmm. But then in the second screen, you have one of the little mini Mario figures that you have to navigate your way toward and then collect it 
and that ends the stage. And then six stages make up a world. Weirdly enough, whenever you get to a new world, you are forced to play the first stage. That is but after But after you play the first stage, you can play the other five in whatever order you want. It's just kind of weird that they don't, since they're going to do that, that they don't just have the entire, but that's more of a just kind of weird aside. Um, but you've got those six stages per world that act with those uh, two screens. You've got the key to the locked door, and then you go collect the mini Mario. And then you've got two other uh, stages, essentially, that finish off each world. Yep. Yeah. And um, as you mentioned, the it's sort of in the, in the kind of back half of the game, it's kind of recontextualized because what they essentially do is... Yes combine like the mini Mario element into the core like level design where now you have to reckon with like guiding a mini Mario in addition to the key and all of that. So they, they, it does get more complicated um, yeah. in the, I, what are they called? Like plus worlds or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And so. specifically when it comes to the mini Mario's, those two extra stages that I was talking about, um, once you finish the six stages in a, uh, in any given world, you are sent to, because at that point you've collected these six mini Marios that were lost in that world. And at that point you have to guide them to this trunk to then be collected by the toads. Right. Uh, so there is a very specific Lemmings-esque mini Mario stage where uh, in addition to guiding Mario through a stage, you actually have to find a way to navigate, you have to learn how the minis maneuver the stage and you have to guide the minis to the end of the stage, to the crate, which you then can collect. Um, right. The hook to those stages being that there are three letters that spell toy that you have to collect in order to even open the chest so that the mini Marios will jump in. And then once you have collected and stored all of the mini Marios, you then go to that world's DK boss. Right. And then rinse and repeat eight times, roll credits. And then, you know, after you roll credits the first time, like you said, they recontextualize the game where uh, in the first half of the game, you had these two screens, one with the key and the second one where you just try to navigate your way to the mini Mario in the back half of the game, they're just single screen stages, but they are more challenging because the mini Mario is the character that has the key. Right. So they basically just combine this idea of the lemmings esque guiding the mini Mario's with guiding the key with getting the key to the locked door. So you activate the mini Mario in those stages in the back half and then you find a way to guide that mini Mario to the locked door, which he then unlocks it because Mario apparently is not strong enough to lift a mini Mario and a key at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the, the way the mini Mario's work is like they, they kind of follow Mario as your, as your like guy. Yeah. Yeah. They'll, they'll kind of like follow your, your pathway, but often you're having to sort of like, you know, walk on a platform above so that they can navigate a, a smaller gap below or something like that, you know, and you have to kind of like, uh, manage and make sure that they have platforms to walk on at all, you know? So that's where, that's where a lot of the challenge comes in is just kind of like making sure they can get to where they need to go. Um, and I do like that. I do like that. They kind of recontextualize, 
their their levels and their gameplay in that way in the second half of the game. Um, there's also a lot of unlockable like modes um, that happen after you roll credits the first time. There's like a time attack mode. Um, there are a couple of expert worlds that that yeah. unlock. I think there's two. Um, yeah, there's two for a total of. Uh, there were twelve expert stages in the original, but just like they've added two worlds to make it a total of eight in this game, right. they've added two. You know, for every world of six stages, they've added two extra uh, expert stages for a total of now sixteen right. expert stages. Yep. So, and and that stuff is is really so. I mean, there there really is. I mean, despite the fact that you'll, I mean, the first like credits roll, uh, I think I reached that inside of like four hours. Um, it's, it's not like a super long experience. I mean, the fact that they do effectively double, you know, the, the amount of content in the game. And even if you want to dig even further, you can, you can go a little bit further. Like there's a decent amount of content in here for, for what it is. Now it's going to be up to you if you like, you know, like what, what this game is kind of putting down. But if you do, there is a lot here for what it's worth. Now this game, I've already compared it to super Mario 3d land in terms of its kind of structure. Uh, When it comes to the content, this game also heavily benefits from that extra, like doubling the size of the title. Because after you roll credits, you get that time attack mode. You unlock the other half of the game. In addition to the expert stages, you roll credits and the game more than doubles in terms of its content offering. Had that not happened, this would have been an incredibly difficult game to recommend, especially at the $50 purchase price that the game currently sits at, which it's also a first party Nintendo game that ain't going down anytime soon. Uh, Just like Mario 3D Land, which similarly kind of doubles in size the first time you roll credits and goes from a kind of a eh, meh experience to a, oh, well, this is much bigger and much more interesting than I thought it was. Good. Uh, the game Mario vs. Donkey Kong also very heavily benefits from that as well. But again, like you said, it's going to be up to you whether or not you're picking up what this game is putting down. And I will say, you know, as much as I've praised the game for its presentation and for uh, especially its music, it is ultimately a 20-year-old handheld puzzle game. And by the standards of a lot of the puzzle titles that are coming out on the Nintendo Switch, like some of the puzzle games that you and I have played in the past year are these incredibly thought-provoking, ridiculously creative passion projects put out by insanely talented developers. I look at games like Cocoon and Patrick's Parabox and... I hate to say it, but through that filter, playing a game like Mario versus Donkey Kong, it did kind of seem boring by comparison. Of some, yeah, pretty yeah. pedestrian by the by the comparison of a lot of the other puzzle games that we're playing on the Nintendo Switch at this point. Now, if you're just looking to revisit a game from your youth, this is exactly what I think you would want from the title. But if you're looking for a puzzle game that I that would stand toe to toe with the best puzzle games on the Nintendo switch in 2024. That's not going to be this. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. 
it's so weird. I'm of two minds of this because I agree, totally agree with what you're saying. I do think it's even the harder levels of the game, I think are fairly like, to be yeah. honest, like the difficulty is more just, it's annoying now, <laughs> like more so annoying than- <laughs> really is kind of the best word because I did find myself getting really irritated in, yeah. in a few places, like actually properly irritated because there were times when those mini Mario's would just like, why did you do that? Why did you jump there? Why did you go? What? And specifically there's one enemy, this, these, this pile of bricks. Sure. That yeah. Is weirdly like an immediate difficulty spike on whatever level that they appear in. They are so much more difficult, so exponentially more difficult to navigate than any other enemy in the game. It's like they come, it's like they came from a different game, especially on the back half where you're trying to navigate Mario and a mini in between those quickly disappearing gaps. Man, annoying really was the best word for it. And I hate to say that, but yeah, ultimately there were a lot of times when I was getting like properly irritated and like eye twitching playing this game. And I'll admit, I'll admit, even though I didn't find most of the game difficult per se, I had one of my most legendarily bad like play sessions with this game. I was... (laughs) I told you, Seth, man, I was, if I had been streaming this during that day, people would have told me to quit Twitch or something. <laughs> I was, it was bad as that's actually how I beat the final boss was like choking a dozen times in a row. But ultimately looking back on it, I still don't think it's, it's super difficult. Even when you get into the, the, the expert stages, the expert right. stages themselves, while just being, there's no many Mario's whatsoever. It's just find the key, get to the door. Uh, they're a little bit more interesting and I do like the added action elements that some of the expert stages add in. Despite being a puzzle game, some of the stages are still more action oriented to kind of break up the, the pace a little bit and give a little bit of variety to the title. Um, and admittedly, I do think I should stop and talk. The different worlds admittedly do offer a lot of different gimmicks. There is a lot, a lot of varied obstacles and a lot of varied enemies that you will deal with. Even though I was getting irritated and annoyed, I certainly can't say that the game wasn't constantly throwing new stuff at me because it absolutely does. Yeah, I mean, I I, I mentioned earlier, I quite enjoy. Um, I, I know we, we disagree on the, the ice world. Um, but I kind of like, you know, like I felt like they, they fit right in with, with the rest of everything else that was happening. Like the, it's called like, like Mary mountain or something like that. The, the carnival sort of world. It was a mythic, um, uh, mythic carnival, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something like that, but they, they have this kind of like flower wind like mechanic. Yeah. That has yeah. worked into it, and I thought that was, that was yeah, that was pretty cool. I dug that. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, but I don't know. I've I've got a little bit of a cross to bear, and it, the slippery summit, the the slippery terrain, yeah, was new. It was not an old world. If it had just been like part of the original game, I'd have been like, this is a remake. Fair enough. That's what was in the game originally. But no, they added in 2024 slippery terrain 
not to an action platformer, but to a puzzle platformer. And I'm sorry, but I do feel the need to ask. It's 2024. Can we please stop pretending that slippery terrain makes games more interesting (laughs) or fun? (laughs) <laughs> I didn't mind it. I mean, like, it's not one of my favorite worlds, but... The boss um, in that world actually started <laughs> to make me mad. <laughs> I don't know. I, did, I didn't really I didn't really have a, a huge issue with it personally. But I, you know, for, for me, what, what I kind of liked about it is mm-hmm. um, b- because the, the core gameplay of this is so simple. I mean, like, the, the, the cool thing about... Um, DK 94 and these games is Mario actually has a fairly robust sort of move set in these games, all things considered, like you've got sort of the, the ability to like handstand. And what's nice about that is like it, uh, that can negate those brick enemies that you're talking about a little bit. Cause if you handstand walking under them, he just kicks the bricks away, which I think might be new. I don't think that was the case in the original. I don't think um, so. Cause I <laughs> honestly, that's the first time hearing about it. I did yeah. know that I did know that, um, you, Mario only gets one hit in all the normal right. stages. However, if you are carrying something, yes. that basically gives Mario an extra hit. You basically just, just get knocked it. down and drop whatever you're holding. So yeah. you can also use you know that as kind of armor, and you actually get a decent number of, of iframes after you get knocked down if you just want to try to damage boost through something. Right. So, so he can do that. He can kind of like handstand jumping out of that gives you like a high jump. And then you can do like a third kind of like somersault. If you jump yeah. again after landing from that, like um, a facsimile and, of his triple jump. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And in addition to that, you have like uh, the ability to climb both ladders and ropes, just like old school arcade like Donkey DK Kong Jr. Games. Yeah, totally. Right. <laughs> it works exactly the same as it does in Donkey Kong Jr. Um, and then he also can sort of vault like there be um there there will be poles that mario can spin on and get like very high jumps off of so he he's actually got a fairly robust move set um in this game for it being what it is so when you you have to contend with something like slippery terrain even though it's annoying um i i kind of like that it made you think about that move set a little bit more carefully well mario actually gets a specific jump on that slippery terrain. Yeah. Um, he actually gets this weird, like icy, uh, ice dancer pirouette, uh, that immediately also thrusts him forward. You can't do right. anything about that, but, uh, so he, he does have that move set. He's also got a backflip in addition to everything that we've mentioned. If you're running forward and immediately hit back and jump, he does a, a pretty high jump. And those extra high jumps are something you will have to remember because the game yes. doesn't really start to make use of them until fairly deep in the title. However, you know, there are a few times where you will specifically need to jump two or even three blocks up. And it did take me a couple minutes to realize like, oh, I can actually make that jump. I just have to do something other than my regular jump. Uh, so so remember that that's a thing. Uh, but yeah, I, I've got to say for the extra content, it does, to be fair, as much as I really think it was not the best idea to include a specifically ice-themed world in this game, it does feel like it came right out of Mario versus Donkey Kong. Um just it's 2024 Nintendo let's move on (laughs) yeah everything does feel right at home like they they did like it feels like it does feel true to the spirit of of what this is um yeah 
Go ahead. Sorry. I, I will say um, a big miss for me when it comes to the gameplay are these presents that are oh, okay. in each stage. Because in addition to everything that we've talked about, there's this collection aspect where there are three different colored presents, I believe a red, blue, and yellow, yellow present yeah. that you can collect in every stage. And like the thought, the onus behind something like this is that these presents should be situated within the level so as to provide extra challenge. They should be situated mm-hmm. in a way to provide essentially an extra little mini puzzle within the, the level that you can then solve and be rewarded for solving. However, this game has a time limit still. Right. You only have so much time to navigate each stage. And I think that kind of kneecapped the level design in a couple aspects. I still don't really have a problem with the base level design. I think it's got a decent pace to it, but I think removing the timer would have allowed the designers to really open up and really think about the extra optional challenges that they could have added in these stages with the presence. Because as of right now, the vast majority of these so-called collectibles, even deep into the game, lie directly in your path that you're already going to be traveling. They don't make the stage even remotely more interesting. I would say there's three presents per stage. I would say maybe two, maybe two per world actually made the stage they were in more interesting because of what you had to do to get them. Overall, I just think they're an extra block to check and from a level design standpoint, a huge missed opportunity. I was really excited to to collect these because, you know, in these collect-a-thon platformers, even though this is more of a puzzle platformer, but in these collect-a-thon things, you and I were talking about DK Tropical Freeze last week, and I loved all the extra challenges that the the, the Kong letters and the puzzle pieces often presented uh, that really tested your skills in a lot of ways. And like, that's just not here. Most of these collectibles are just kind of on your way as you're progressing through the game normally and just don't really add anything to the experience, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree with that. It's also, uh, they, they don't really unlock anything. That's true. Yeah. They don't, they don't do anything. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, other than the fact that you, you do have to collect them in order to like perfect yeah, the stage. That's, that's fair. And you do need to perfect the stages in order yes. to unlock. Um, you do have to perfect the stages in order to unlock the expert stages. Expert levels. Yeah. Uh, that is one, uh, like for every, I think, eight uh, perfect, for every eight stars, because you get a gold star every time you perfect right. a level. And for every eight gold stars, you unlock a new uh, a new expert stage. So they do wind up unlocking something, but still I, I really wish they'd have made the game more interesting. Despite the fact there's 130 plus stages in this title. Like I, I think there was a huge missed opportunity with the presence to add, you know, just a ton more uh, like meat to the bone here. And again, I think it stems from the fact that the, the timer was too tight. There wasn't really enough time to make the levels more interesting, but I don't know, maybe that's a lesson learned for next time. Yeah. I mean, and yeah, I I would agree with that. We should also say that the game does have a like casual difficulty mode, um, which does remove the timer. 
Um, and it also removes the sort of like danger element. If you, if you fall into a pit or if you take damage from an enemy, Mario just bubbles and it's all yeah. good. It's all fine. Um, there also is two player co-op where the second player can play as toad. Um, I did not get the opportunity to try that out. I don't know if you did. No, I didn't. Yeah. So I didn't get to get the chance to play that unfortunately, but, um, so I, I don't really know how that like changes up the flow of the game when you have another player in the mix. Um, but from what I understand, Toad can do the vast majority of what Mario can do um, in, in co-op. So I imagine that also kind of makes the game easier, but I could see it being kind of fun to divide and conquer and you go over here and do this. And I, I could see that, you know, Yeah. but yeah. Cause most of the stages, like we've already said, are just a single screen. A lot of them can just fit on your TV. Now there is some slight scrolling and there are a handful of stages that, you know, to have a little bit more than just slight scrolling. But for the most part, these stages are incredibly self-contained, uh, which does, I mean, kind of help with the pace. The timer's there, but I mean, you are already going to finish these stages fairly quickly anyway. But um, I do at kind of the end of the day still feel like I still feel conflicted about recommending this game at $50. The, yeah. the doubling of the content is, does certainly help the argument quite a bit. But again, when games like Patrick's Pair Box and Cocoon are coming out at $15, $20, right. as polished a package as this is, unless you are incredibly nostalgic for Mario versus Donkey Kong from the Game Boy Advance, this is, mm, this is, if you are, you know exactly what you're getting into. And if you if if that's what you're after, more power to you. But for like a casual puzzle fan, or maybe even just a casual passing Mario fan, I don't know if I would wholeheartedly recommend this. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. And like my my conflicting feeling from this game mm-hmm. mostly comes from like for what this is. Like this is a remake of an old game. Yeah, it is and exactly like, what it is and that's yeah for what it's going for it does it incredibly well right that's that's but the it thing is, so like but it is ultimately a 20 year old handheld game right so so like that that's where i i kind of come down on it we're like yeah if if you're a fan of this game and you want to re-experience just an extraordinarily polished you know, like, like version of that with a bunch of new content that you can really kind of enjoy. Like, I still think 50 bucks is really steep for this game, um, for, for it being what it is. But like, if, if that is what you want out of it, then I think that this is about as good a job as they could have done. Like as a actual, like remake, re-release remaster, I think full marks, I think they crushed it. Yeah, absolutely. I also agree with you that in 2024, it is kind of a pedestrian puzzle game. And I wouldn't recommend it for somebody who's never played this game before and who kind of can't take it for what it is. And if you're looking at this as just, Hey, this is a new puzzle experience on your Nintendo switch in 2024. Yeah. There are a million better puzzle games that you can play than this. If somebody came up to me and said, Hey, I I want some really great puzzle games. They can be puzzle platformers, puzzle action games, but I want some puzzle platformers, puzzle action games on the Nintendo Switch in 2024. What would you recommend? This would be fairly far down my list at this point, right. I think. Yeah. No, if, I, if I that's would agree. the filter you're looking through. 
Right. So I think that I think that's where I come down on it is like you you really have to look at this game with a little bit of nuance because like I I feel like my main complaints with the game are like measuring it against something it was never trying to be, you know? And I feel like that's a little unfair. And I I feel like I'm seeing a lot of people sort of write the game off for that. But, you know, like for, for what it is, like it, it as a remake of a, you know, 20 year old game, it is exactly doing what it set out to do, you know, with, it's it's a lot like RZ in that regard, because they had a goal. They understood the assignment and while the end result of the assignment may not have been the greatest thing since sliced bread, like they nailed the assignment to be fair. Yeah. So, I mean, I think if you, I, I think that I would only recommend this wholeheartedly to somebody who is like a massive fan of the original and yeah. is like really itching to replay just the most polished version of this game they love as possible. This game you know? made me want to play DK94 on my 3DS so me much. Me too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, but imagine that, right? Like, you and I are bigger fans of DK94 than we are of this game. Yeah. If, yeah, yeah, yeah. if they did this to DK94. Same thing. We'd, we'd be over the moon, yeah. you know? And yep. so that's what I mean. Like, it, th- there are people out there that hold this game in that high regard. And for those people, I would still maybe be a little trepidatious about 50 bucks. But for those people, I would recommend this game too, you know? But guys, I hope you've enjoyed uh, our review of Mario versus Donkey Kong. We would love to hear what you think. Again, if you've uh, checked out the multiplayer aspect of this title, let us know. Please reach out to us at All In Podcast on Facebook, on Twitter. Join our phenomenal Discord community. We would love to have you over in the Discord. Also, make sure to like, subscribe. We actually did a video version of this review over mm-hmm. on the YouTube channel. But, I mean, you don't necessarily need to watch that if you've listened to the podcast version. But there's still a ton of other videos on our YouTube you should absolutely check out. Go ahead and like, subscribe, check that out as well. But in addition to all of the content that we're creating each and every week for everybody, we also find time to create exclusive content for those cheeseburger patrons. <laughs> That's right. Patreon.com slash all podcast is the place to be. Three tiers of support. See which tier works for you. Uh, seven day free trial again to the golden banana tier. So you can check out the exclusive content that goes up there every week for yourself. You don't have to take our word for it. Uh, you can also pick up some merch at bit.ly slash all in merch. A great way to support the show and throw a few bones our way for our hard work. We appreciate you for doing that. And if you don't have any bones throw away, that's okay too. Dropping some words on your podcast your choice leaving us a five-star review uh, is a great free and easy way to support the show so thank you so much yeah huge huge thank you to everybody who has done any of that anybody who's picked up a piece of our merch to anybody who has become one of those legendary patrons to anybody who has even just shared our content across this vast internet of ours to each and every one of you we would like to extend an incredibly heartfelt namaste namaste another one down dude we did it big Mm -hmm. week huge week but we still managed to get it done huge this week's been huge Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's been such a big week and next week you know we got february 29th the auspicious once every four years occasion but uh honestly i'm just i kind of wish that that just gave us an extra day in the week to get caught up on everything that released over the past few days because 
I can't wait to play Penny's Big Breakaway. I really want to check out Pentiment, all the content and everything that's been coming out. And of course, that means we are one month, less than one month away from Peach's uh, Princess Peach Showtime, Seth. We got that coming. We have Pokemon Presents next week. Um, there's just so much. There's just so much going on, dude. Yeah, there's a lot. You know, we really thought like, yeah, like January turned out to be kind of big and the first couple weeks of February weren't necessarily much to write home about, but man, the back half of February just got stacked. But uh, guys, there's been so, so much for uh, for us to, to marinate on from the past week. Let us know what you guys are up to this week and hope whatever you guys are doing, whatever of these amazing games that have come out recently, if you're playing KI, if you're playing them Fighting Herds, if you're playing Pentiment or Penny's Big Breakaway or, or whatever, we hope you guys are having a ball doing exactly that. But we are going to get back to it. No rest for us. There's always something new to be done. So we will see you right back here next Saturday for another brand new episode of All In a Nintendo Podcast. But... Until then, I have been Combo Eric. <laughs> and I have been Splatoon 3 Wave 2 Seth Order. We will talk to you all next week. Love you very much. Bye. Bye, guys. I'm going back to KI.